Hello, City Hope. Everybody doing good? Thanks for being with us this weekend. I want to welcome the Foley Campus, Baymanet, Mobile, and the guys at Holman. And in just a couple weeks, there'll be a group of guys at Fountain Prison also. So can we just welcome everybody, every campus, come on. Yeah. I want to say thank you to all of those who went and served in Baton Rouge this week. Over 100 people served. Our, our cooks did a phenomenal job. In five days, they've served about 6,000 hot meals. And the Dream Center there with the Healing Place Church, we didn't know this until we were there cooking, but the Dream Center is literally right in the neighborhood of where the, the, the man was shot and also where a few blocks down where the cops were shot a couple weeks later. So it's in the heart. And what the pastor there at the Dream Center said, he said, it's amazing how after the flood, everybody's coming in and loving and serving and all that tension is just dissolved and everybody's focusing on the main thing and that's called relationship. You see, you get so much more accomplished when you serve than when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're in conflict. Serving just kind of takes away all that sting. I want to say thank you to all of the people who went and served and also those of you who gave, over $16,000 came in. All of that has been spent on this project and given to many churches that we work with there. If you're interested and you'd like to go over, uh, a few of you guys or maybe you and your wife or somebody you want to go, we have a couple connections there with churches. They'll house you, they'll feed you, and you can go. I promise you, we didn't scratch the surface of the homes that need to be gutted. We gutted about 40 houses in two days but it is unbelievable the further south you go from Baton Rouge down in the Gonzales and those areas, homes are still just reeking with water and they need help. Most of those people didn't have flood insurance, so uh, they're depending. And, and, and we're, I have to tell you this, because of those churches that we met with, a couple of those pastors, those are larger churches, and I got to meet with them and their leaders, and they said this about our people who served. I didn't ask. They just volunteered and said, wow, your people are just first class. They are serving, but they're also ministering and talking to people and loving on people. And so, uh, City Hope, you made me proud the way you do this and the way you serve. Thank you so much for all you do. Can we give our people a big hand? Also, I want to just kind of drop a little information for the Foley campus. Uh, we were finally permitted last week. Uh, the site has been uh, marked. Uh, the grass has been cut. And this week you will see some dirt being moved. So isn't that good news for Foley? Yeah. Well, we're in a series. Uh, we're calling it You Ask For It because in, in Easter we did a survey asking you what you would like to hear and so we're devoting about four weeks to this, and um, I get the fun one. Uh, I get the one on the end times. Um, I, I wouldn't be doing this if you hadn't asked for it, but since so many people ask about this, and you realize this is at least an eight-week series, and so I had to say, okay, what is the most important part of this that I can give you? And, and, and you know, I, I want you to understand that there's so many extremes to this. There are the extremes of those, you know, I thought about, well, I'll just get up and tell you to build a bunker in your backyard and start storing food. Or do I just tell you to ignore it because we've been talking about Jesus coming back for years and years and who knows when it's going to happen and just go to that extreme. But you see, either of those extremes are healthy. And so we, we need to talk about it. And so 
I just want to kind of give you, uh, and this message is called The End. I want to give you my perspective of the end as your pastor. And, and, and when I think about the end, you know, when you watch a movie, uh, we expect to see on the screen the end. And, and other times when you're watching a movie, you know, you, there's a sudden ending and we're not expecting it and all of a sudden the end pops up on the screen. You say, oh, no, it can't end like this. And then there are movies and the story's finished and the movie kind of goes on forever and ever and ever and we think, will this movie ever end? So what I want to do this weekend is I want to look at our lives and make sure we know what to expect because like a movie, the end to life is inevitable. And I know there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of doubt, and there's a lot of fear, and there's also a lot of ignorance, and ignorance being of how the end will unfold. I mean, we, we've heard it all our lives. Jesus is coming back, yet some live their lives as if there's just plenty of time to get everything worked out. It's like the movie where you can predict the ending because it's one of those kind that, you know, that you watch that you know it's gonna, everybody's going to live happily ever after. Uh, as your pastor, I feel very strong about teaching you an important element about the end and the perspectives I'm going to show you, I hope and pray they will affect your life. Now, so let, let me, and, 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 and I, I, don't want you to, I don't want you to get kind of withdrawn from me on this, and I don't want you to get into a deep, dark hole and think depression and agony and all that stuff, uh, but we, we are going to die, and, and, and we don't want to think about it, much less talk about it. So there's so much to think about, and, and, and so most of us, we just want to watch the movie Enjoy Life. We, we don't want to talk about that, think about that. But, but don't forget the scripture that says that life on this earth is temporary. In comparison, it's just like a little vapor of, of, of the time that we're going to be with Christ in eternity, in heaven forever and ever. This is a temporary place. So I want to encourage you that when you see things happening in our world, and things are happening constantly in our world that God is in control. There's nothing happening that is out of his realm of control. He is in control. And, and, and maybe not, now this is my personal belief, maybe not all, but many of you listening to me, you're going to see the most exciting event known in the scriptures, and it's where the season of human history as we know it comes to the end. And a new season is set off. How is the new season set off? It's set off by the rapture of the believers, of Christians. And, and I realize that when I use the word the end and the rapture, people react just like Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their own desires. And they'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world first created. In other words, folks are going to laugh, they're going to mock. That's an end time message. That's old school. You know, so there's this mocking. Then in verse 5, Peter goes on, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it water with water and then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. So if you think God will not destroy this earth, Peter's reminding them that he did in Noah's day. But the next time, it's not going to be with water. It's going to be with fire. So why does he do this? Why, why does God do this? Well, in verse 9, Peter goes on. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God is giving more time for everyone who will repent, and he's given us 
2,000 years since Jesus left the earth, so he's really patient, and so we really should be ready. In verse 14, Peter goes on, and so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives. He didn't say in fear. He didn't say bunker down in a hole in the ground in your backyard, but living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. So he refers to what Paul said. Now, what we're going to look at with Paul is where you may not be familiar with the concept that I'm looking at this, but you're going to hear it from Paul in 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to read about this concept. And this text is probably the clearest explanation of the rapture in the Bible. So out of all of the things we could talk about for 8, 10, 12 weeks, I want to talk about this thing, the rapture. So here's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who've died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who died. So here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about there will be a generation of Christians who never die. And and he's saying we will understand. I want you to understand that there are loved ones of yours who, who, who are believers and they have died. So I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the loved ones because they're asleep that's dead. But when the, when the rapture takes place, those that are dead are going to come first, and then those who are alive and believers, they're, they're going to be raptured away. So first, I want to talk about three things. The first thing is I want to talk about the rapture, the rapture. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. When a Christian believer closes their eyes here, they open them in heaven. Understand that. Because I don't want fear to to trigger anything in you. I want you to listen to this with peace and understanding. So the rapture is not just the separation for those ready and those not, but it's also where we get our glorified bodies. This body that you have is not going to live forever. It's going to decay. It's going to die. Go back to you're going to get a new body, a glorified body. And then the scripture says, now watch and listen to this. The scripture says that we will meet the Lord Jesus in the air. But Jesus, when he raptures the church, he only comes as far as the clouds. Well, why is that important? Because the people on the earth will only see the believers going up to meet him. They won't see him when he raptures the church, but they will see the people being raptured away. They will also see the graves being burst open and and those who died first going to meet with Jesus in the air. But in the second coming... The second coming is after the tribulation. After the tribulation, he will come. Jesus will come all the way back, to, and his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and he will sit up and reign. In other words, there will be a generation of Christians who never die. They'll never see a casket. They'll never be put in a grave. And there will be hundreds of millions, if not billions, of believers who will be snatched away from this earth and translated into heaven with God. Jesus is going to be in the clouds. He's going to take them with him. This is what is called the rapture of the church. Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from, from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And watch verse 18. 
So encourage each other with these words. This is not doom and gloom. This is not a fear tactic. It is to encourage. See, there will be millions and millions of believers who will instantly go into the clouds and they'll never die. But our loved ones who have died in Christ will be part of the event and they will precede us up in the air to meet with Jesus. And some say, well, those who have studied the scripture, they'll say, well, rapture is not even a biblical word. Well, that's technically true. The word rapture is not in the Bible. There is a phrase called caught up and there is a Greek word, harpasso, which is to snatch up. There is a Latin word that is repetir, and this is where we get the word rapture. So the concept of rapture, not the actual word, but the concept is all through the New Testament, but there is a difference in the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. The rapture happens before the last seven years of human history. The last seven years of human history is called the tribulation. And we believe in the rapture of the church of those who are alive in Christ will be caught up, snatched up at the beginning of the seven years and not at the end of the seven years because at the end of the seven years will be the second coming of Christ. Now, watch this, Revelation 19 and 11. Have I lost anybody yet? You're still with me. Are you breathing? Are you okay? All right, don't, don't get wigged out. I'm going to turn the plane around in a minute. We're going to make a little more sense out of this. Verse 11, this is Revelation. And then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on them that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was, was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, linen, followed him on white horses. This is the end of human history, what we just read. This is the end of the Bible. This is the Armageddon. This is where all have come to destroy Israel, and, they, and, they, and b before they can accomplish this, Jesus comes in all his glory. He departs from heaven. He has a sword that comes out of his mouth. He slays all the enemies of God. But what I want you to see is that there's an army behind him, and the army is dressed in fine linen. Well, who is that army? Well, if you back up a few verses in Revelation 19, it's where you read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. You've heard me tell you that the church is the bride of Christ. We are going to marry Jesus Christ. We will be the bride of Christ. That takes place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it says there that we, are, we will be clothed with fine linen at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then... The heavens are going to open, and we're the army that's going to come with Jesus. In other words, when the second coming takes place, here goes Jesus. We are the army that's behind him. Get, picture that, that he's stepping out into the portals of the atmosphere, into the universe, and we're behind him looking at where he's going, and we're, we're going with him because that's who we are, and that's what we're doing after the rapture. After the tribulation, we're not sitting around here moaning and groaning. No, after the after the the, the tribulation, the seven years, Christ returns, we are with him. So here's the sequence. It's the rapture, and then the Antichrist comes to rule and reign, and then at the end of the seven years of tribulation is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. So the rapture is in the Bible. It is a separate event from the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. I want to show you the importance of the rapture. 
I just gave you a whole lot of information that, that I could have given you, I could have given you a, a whole lot more that would have complicated it more. I'm trying to keep it simple. But here's, this, here's the importance of the rapture. When we talk about the rapture of the church, sometimes people think that's not important that it's just a fear tactic that you may have heard people use, or it's an escapist mentality. That, that's what a lot who want to argue this, that's what they say. But actually, it's one of the most important documents in the entire Bible. Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us, that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Verse 11, here we go again. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you are already doing. So Paul is telling you there's going to be a generation of believers that never see death, and they will not go through the last seven years of human history. And when Jesus returns, we're going to be with him after the marriage supper of the Lamb. And my question is, does that encourage anybody? Okay, four people are encouraged. Okay. All right, let me read more. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Paul said, and they speak of how we are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. People are looking forward to Jesus returning, and, and Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. He comes to rescue the believers from the terrors of the, of, of the judgment that's coming in those seven years. Does that encourage anybody? Okay, it went up to about 28%. Okay, so some believe in post-tribulation. That is that we as Christians go through the, the entire seven years and then the rapture occurs. Some believe in mid-tribulation, that he raptures the church in the middle of the tribulation, seven and a half years. So listen, if you read the scriptures and you study the scriptures about the rapture and the end time judgment, you'll see that the tribulation period and the Antichrist cannot show up until after the church departs. At the end of the tribulation period, millions, possibly billions of people after the tribulation have died, if not millions, uh, there, there could also be new believers, millions of them, but they would have been martyred through the tribulation. So some people, you know, some believe we go through half of this tribulation, some believe we go through all of this. So listen to me. There is not a chance in a million, million years that you can comfort me with the words that we are going through half of the tribulation or all of the tribulation. You can't comfort me in that. And the writer said two times, comfort one another in this, that Jesus is going to rapture the church out before his second coming. So that's the comfort. What I'm, what, I, I want to tell you what is comforting is this. We will not be here during that period of time. We will not be here during that period of time. Our God is coming for us because we are not appointed to wrath. Here's the third thing. The teaching of the rapture motivates us. One of the most motivating things in the Scripture in our lives should be, it's in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not putting it up, but you'll, you'll know the phrase. It, it's in the twinkling of an eye we'll be facing Jesus. You could be sitting watching a ball game and pick up a potato chip in your hand before you get it in your mouth. You, you, you're standing in front of Jesus. I hope you have the right flavor. <laughs> in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, some, someone has said, some have studied that out and said that's one fortieth of a second. One fortieth of a second before you can think, but, but before you can apologize, before you can repent, before you can do it again, before you get a second chance. Literally, we are here one instant and there the next. So, 
what the understanding of the rapture should create is a sobriety in our lives that says literally the motivation of one fortieth of a second from now I could be standing in front of Jesus that that should be motivating because you see here's the deal we're, we're, we're too attached to this and we think this is that this is not that this is temporary so we have to by faith believe that what God has is better and bigger than what we have and it is because it started out that way mankind Adam and Eve blew it and so we're living through that repercussion but he's listen what what the understanding of the rapture should create is I'm gonna see Jesus and, and Paul says we ought to make our goal to be blameless and holy before God at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ now this message that I'm giving you today is about a spiritual awakening and it is to awaken you to tell you that our God is a loving God and by bringing this word to his people so they can understand what's going on in the end now there is a time of judgment there'll be a judgment that will come there is a time of judgment there will be a judgment that will come and there's a lot of talk about judgment coming on the United States of America let's be clear about judgment There'll be nations and governments that position themselves not to be part of God's covenant in the last days, and they will receive the judgment of God. But his judgment is perfect and complete, and we are not experiencing his judgment now. I know after 9-11, people said it's the judgment of God. I know after Katrina, people said it's the judgment of God. That's not true. I believe that as we make decisions as a nation, though, we can certainly separate ourselves from the blessings of God, just like you can do personally. Christians, we sin. We're not perfect. When we do sin, if we don't repent of it, it, it doesn't take us out of the covenant relationship with God, but it separates us from the ability to receive from him and walk in an intimate relationship with him because sin produces strife and separates us from being able to sit down in that intimate relationship with God, but it doesn't take us out of covenant with him it, it doesn't mean we make decisions as a nation to embrace things not pleasing to God because then that interferes with God's ability to bless us as a nation. So what am I saying? I'm saying, yes, we still reap what we sow even as a nation. So all your political leaders and all of these parties, whatever, if it's against God, we will reap what we sow as, even as a nation. But I want to back up a second, and I want to show you something, because I think most of you sitting here are American, and I want you to know, I want to show you America and her destiny in Scripture. In, in, in other words, I want to show you where we're headed and why we're here in America. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore I say to you, Jesus is talking, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. A lot of people talk about America most is extremely negative especially about the future of america some today even compare america to sodom and gomorrah we do have sins we do have moral problems but as a spiritual type you've heard me teach on spiritual types over and over again as a spiritual type america is not a sodom and gomorrah type some compare america to babylon in the book of revelation and they teach that America will be totally destroyed like Babylon and, just, and they will fall and be destroyed. They call America the Babylon. I can't find scripture in the New Testament that Babylon is a type of America. America, listen, has always been a gospel preaching nation. It was founded by the Puritans who believe and taught the word of God. They believe that Jesus was the son of the living God. 
So Jesus comes along in Matthew, at this one scripture that I just read, and he tells a story before, that script, before he says those words. And I'm going to paraphrase his story. He tells his story. This is his story. And if you want to read it yourself, it's in Matthew 21, 33 through 43. You can read it later. Let me paraphrase his story. All of us have a story. Here's his story. He said, there's a certain owner of a vineyard. That's God. And in order to produce fruit in the vineyard to reap a harvest out of the field that he owned, he begins to send his servants to produce the fruit. Jesus is telling the story. This is a type and a shadow of what's going on for his story. The Bible says that those working in the fields begin to stone and beat the servants that the owner sent. The servants represent and their types of the prophets that came before Jesus Christ. They stoned them. They beheaded them. They beat them. They persecuted the prophets who are coming with the word. Hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus, this is the first coming. He's coming. The Messiah is coming. The next verse, he goes on and he says, Thou the owner, that's God, began to send even more of his servants back to the vineyard trying to get them to produce fruit. I want you to produce fruit. I have this land here. It's fertile. It is to produce fruit. Well, the more he sent, the more they killed. And at the nearing of the first coming of Jesus, the more prophets begin to show up. And as soon as they would show up, they begin to proclaim the owner's message. Then they would kill them. And then the owner sent his only son. And they killed him too. Because they wanted to take his inheritance. Now that's Jesus' story. And then he turns and he asks this question. What do you think the owner of the, venue, of the vineyard will do to repay the people who killed his servants and his son? What do you think the owner's going to do? You killed all his servants, now you killed his son. Here's the answer. He'll take the vineyard and that they've been working in, and he'll lend it out to another nation. I'm going to take the vineyard, and I'm going to give it to another. In other words, he will strip the kingdom of God from one nation, Israel, and he'll give it to another nation and, and enable that nation to produce fruit in their season. That's America. You understand that since Jesus spoke these words, there has never in the history of mankind been a nation that came anywhere close to fulfilling this prophecy except America. And Jesus predicted this 2,000 years ago that he's going to take the kingdom of God and lend it to another nation. The son was sent. They killed the owner's son. He loves that nation. He still loves that nation. And there'll be a time when that nation will repent and come back and be revived. But before that happens, the owner says, I'm going to strip the kingdom of God for you and give it to another nation. So listen to me, America. Listen to me, American citizen. As long as we keep preaching the gospel, God will protect this land because the Scripture says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So what's the bottom line? We don't need to run around looking for a bomb shelter and storing beans. The blessings of God are here to come on you to fulfill what God has called us to do, to preach the gospel, because we are in the Scripture. We are the nation that spreads the gospel into all the world. And God said it this way, I'll bless the people who bless my word. Yeah, you ought to be more excited than you are. I know it's early in the morning. But you need to wake up and shake off some Fox News. You need to wake up and shake off some negative and political parties, and you need to listen to what the Word of God says. 
Because let me tell you something, America is not the tail, America is the head. We are here to be blessed, and we're blessed and prospered, not because of a party, not because of a president, not because of the color of the skin of a president or the gender of a president. We're here because God put us here to be blessed, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ around this world. As believers, we need to stand on our feet. We need to shout out to God that we are blessed people. Come on, give the Lord a shout of hallelujah. I could have given you the short version that just said we're a prophetic nation, but you wouldn't have gotten on your feet. Listen, I know things are in a big mess, but God's bigger than the mess. He gave his kingdom to another nation, America, and it makes me proud to be an American. And if you're not proud to be an American, you need to repent or leave. I don't care which. We need to quit bad-mouthing America and remember it's a prophetic nation, and let's pray for the repentance so God's mercy can take over us again. In God's original plan, he's going to give the kingdom to a nation that will produce fruit. That was Israel. God stripped it from them, placed it on you and me. We're not here by accident. Every time you go to work, you get paid, you give tithe and offerings, you are fulfilling a prophetic word that Jesus spoke, that the kingdom would be given to another nation that would produce fruit in their season. Washington, Wall Street, China, Iran, Russia, they can't stop the plans of God. Oh, it's prophetic, and it's going to happen. There's going to be a coalition, and they're going to come, and they're going to do this, but they can't stop the plans of God. And God says, as long as I have a remnant in this nation, I will fight for you. I'll surround you. I'll bless you. I'll bless your business. Your life will prosper. So get your head out of the sand and quit listening to all the negative. God is not finished with America. You need to just say that. God is not finished with America. All this time, thousands of years, God's pros- uh, hundreds of years, God's prospered America, the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. And we have the freedom of expression that no other nation has. I preach in other nations where you have to be careful. I preach in other nations that you have to be underground. I preach in places that you just can't say certain words. But we have this freedom of expression that no other nation has. Why do we have that? Why did our forefathers put that there? To produce fruit. Listen, everyone born in America is a prophetic baby, not a pathetic baby, a prophetic baby that should grow up Meet God, know God, love God, love people, get a job, work and finance the kingdom of God. And listen, Jesus is not sitting around waiting on the Antichrist to pop up. He's not sitting around making sure the European market's going to get all in sync. He's not waiting on the mark of the beast. The, The Bible says that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, then the end shall come. Listen to me. The gospel has gone out. I mean, 
unreached people groups have cell phones. The gospel is anytime, any place. And God has chosen America to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, and, and I know, and, 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 and some say I believe America will go through the great judgment, the church will be persecuted and is going to go through tribulation. Well, listen to me. Here's why some people say that. It's because they're looking at people like Daniel who's thrown in a lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is thrown in the fire. The Bible does not say as it was in the days of Daniel or as it was in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so shall it be when Jesus comes again. No, it only gives two people reference that it'll be like when Jesus comes. One was Lot who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel came and said to Lot, I can't destroy the city until you and your family are out. And it was Noah, his family was in the ark, and God shut the door and the rains, the flood came. He get, he, he'll give us all we need to see the gospel go into the world, and then the end shall come. Your children, do they understand because they're America and there's a prophetic call on their lives? They are anointed. Your children, your grand, they're anointed, called by God to share the gospel, to send the gospel, to share it and produce fruit in this season. Everything in this life is going to end with Jesus. You want to know the end? It ends with Jesus. And when you understand that we need to live our lives so that when we hit the end, we're prepared and we have no regrets. Watch what Jesus said, Luke 21, 36, and I'll wrap up. Watch, therefore, be alert. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of God. When you believe in the rapture, I, I've had people say to me, you're an escapist. People who believe in the rapture of the church before the, you're an escapist, you're telling people they're going to escape. Well, I think we should be ready every day for anything that comes. We should be the most prepared people on the earth. But I didn't use the word escape. Jesus did. Jesus did. Look at that verse again. Watch and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Jesus used that word. We believe what he's saying. You have an opportunity to escape the wrath that's coming to the world. And because he said, my people will not go through that wrath that was coming, you, you were not appointed to wrath. Noah, Lot, they, they, they escaped. Jesus said, you pray you'll be worthy to escape all these things that are coming to the world. That's what he said, and what I'm praying is, Lord Jesus, come because I want to escape, but I want to escape to be with you. I don't want fire insurance. I want to escape because I want to be with you because you're my Savior, you're my Lord, you're my Redeemer. Yeah, but what if I'm left behind? The only reason you would be left behind is that you've never gotten your life right with God. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Thank God that we don't have to deserve salvation. Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins. It's by grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to confess Jesus as Lord, if you're willing to repent of your sins and believe God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. If your eternity isn't right, you don't need a gamble on a tomorrow. If it's not, you don't need to gamble on tomorrow. You, you need to get it right today. And think about it. If, if all of this is so negative, this doomsday stuff, how can you encourage someone to give their life to Christ thinking, well, you're going to give your life to Christ, but I'm not going to tell you what you're going to have to go through because you're going to have to go through hell for seven years before you can go to heaven. No, 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 no. Nobody wants to sign up for that. If you're in a sincere relationship with the Lord, when the rapture occurs, everything will be all right because you'll be with him. 
And there are some, and they have said this. I'm, I'm kind of expanding it a little bit, but they'll say to me, oh, oh no, 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 I, I know it's bad out there, and there's terrorists, and there's nuclear bombs, and global warming, and economy prob problems, and all this stuff, but they've always been there. I mean, it's, you know, I know they're worse, but everything's fine with me. Now, if I ever turn on my TV, and there's this weird creature alien with 666 on his forehead and says, hi, I'm the Antichrist, okay, then I'll talk to, then I'll talk to Christ. It'll be too late. You want to know who the Antichrist is? Mr. Rapture. Who's the Antichrist? I don't know. Mr. Rapture, you'll find out. You won't find out before the rapture. You can speculate. Scripture speculates what country, where they'll come from, but, but you won't know. The Bible says it will be just like the days of Noah. What does that mean? Business as usual until the day the ark door shut, and then the rain came. That's the judgment. Just like the days of Lot, they lived in, corrupt, in a corrupt sexual environment. It's going to be just like those days. Well, we live in that environment today. But let me tell you this. It will get real serious when people are missing. When millions and millions of Americans are missing, and all they, see, they don't see Jesus, all they see is these guys flying up. And it'll get real serious when people are left behind. And there will be repentance, and there will be salvation. And there'll be millions saved on the day of the rapture. But the unfortunate thing is they're going to have to live for seven years on the earth with the Antichrist ruling the earth. I, I'm not even, I don't even want to go there. Why, why even think about that? Why even try to figure out, I can do this? Well, if you can't do it before, what makes you think you can do it after? Are y'all breathing? Yeah. So here's my question, and I'm done. Are you ready for the end? Are you ready for the end? Because I promise you, it's not complicated. It's not hard. It's faith in your Lord Jesus Christ. All of you already have enough up here. You just have to get it here. And when you get it here, every dynamic changes. And listen, here's the thing about it. God is in control. So God has everything planned out and organized. So what do you think you can do by preparing for it? We know how to prepare for hurricanes. You know, we're thinking, okay, there could be one coming. Man, my mind's already going, doing, 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 doing. Uh, th this is not a hurricane. This is the end of history. You can't prepare. The only way you can prepare is to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a believer. Come into my heart because I want to escape here to be with you. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Why wait? Because all the signs, the season, there's nothing else prophetically that has, has to happen for Jesus to return. He could, he could return today, tomorrow. Not, it's, it's, it's ready. But he's patient. Why? Well, he wants more people to come. He wants more people to know him. And that's where we come in. So let's enjoy life. Let's say we're blessed and highly favored. Let's enjoy what we're doing, and let's reach out to people. And just let God be God and let him be in control. And when it happens, it happens, and we're all, you can wave at me going up, and I'll wave at you going up. Or if you're on the ground, I'm going up, I'll say, see ya. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where you'll be, okay? I'm not doing a roll count, all right? I promise you. I, I'm, I'm not looking around and saying, man, I hope all City Hope people are there. No, I, I'll see you there if you're there. If you're not there, I just pray you get there. It's going to be seven years of hell to get there. <laughs> I know we got to laugh a little bit because it is such a serious topic, but it's real. It's real. But you know what? I don't, <laughs> I don't dwell on all this. I don't weight down with all this. 
I'm thinking about, just like last week, okay, how can we go help those people in Baton Rouge? I'm already thinking, okay, if that storm does come into the Gulf and it goes somewhere, what are we going to do there? What can we do here? How can we reach more people? How can we serve people, love people? I, that's, that's what's on my mind. What am I doing? I'm doing what God's called me to do, being an American. That's what you're called to do. I promise you, God's got this whole thing figured out. It's a piece of cake to him, and bam, it'll be there. We'll be there, and it's like, wow, this is great. I don't want to go back. But you got to be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for the end? Father, thank you so much for loving us. We not only can't comprehend heaven, we can't comprehend how much you love us. We try to work around our thoughts and our strategies about to earn this or do this or prepare for that. And Lord, it is simply to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors, ourselves. Jesus, you said it so succinctly. And here we are. We're living in the end of the end times. But we're not going to live in fear. We're going we're to live in faith. And we're going to live in joy. And we're going to live in peace. Because we know we serve a God who's in control. And we serve a God who loves people and he wants more people to turn their hearts to him. So use us in this season, in Jesus' name.